welcome everyone interested in this ancient text called the Bible, written thousands of years ago, and yet they say it's supposed to mean something to us today. I'm your host, Jonathan the Dumb Christian, and to understand what it means to us today, we're going to have to go back and try and understand what it meant to them back then. We're going to finish up Genesis chapter 11 and start Genesis chapter 12 as we meet one of Bible, one of the Bible's most famous characters, Abram, whose name later gets changed to Abraham, the forefather of the nation of Israel. We might get a little colorful. The Bible's about to get real. So buckle up and welcome to Dumb Christian. At the end of Genesis chapter 11, we are greeted with another family lineage. Um, The genealogy, I think that's what it's called. Um, We had a really big one in chapter 5 going from Adam to Noah. And now we're going once again from Noah to the next major player in the Bible. So we start with Shem, Noah's son, and then it takes us to the, the, the big dog himself, Abram, Abraham. But Moses, the author of Genesis decides to take a little bit of a detour when he gets to Abram's father, Terah. It says that Terah left Ur of the Chaldeans and started to make his way towards Canaan and then settled in Haran. Now, we don't know where the other uh, people in the lineage lived. For some reason, Moses makes it very clear here that Terah is the one who takes his family out of Sumer, out of Ur, and starts to head towards Canaan. And the wording here suggests that maybe there's some sort of wordplay with um, God calling the family. Maybe God's initial call to Canaan to go to Canaan was given to Terah, but Terah didn't adhere to it. Whatever the case may be, the journey out of Ur starts with Abram's father, Terah, who was living in the nation of Sumer. Ancient Sumer was like the megalopolis. The is that is that it? The where does uh, Clark Kent metropolis? <laughs> it, it, like the first mega city in the world. Um, they are not mega city, like but major um, power, like national power. Um, they had several cities within their nation, and they had you know a, a, a standard language. But the thing that really set Sumer apart, by the way, this is like ancient Mesopotamia, so southern Iraq, modern day. This is where this is located. It's the Fertile Crescent, um, where, you know, like the hotbed of civilization really began to flourish. Um, But the thing that really, really made it so that ancient Sumer could be streets ahead of every other nation and people group is they were the first to invent writing and and the type of writing that they invented is now referred to as cuneiform everyone say cuneiform yay it was like chicken scratches and it doesn't like it, it looks almost indistinguishable but they had a very specific articulate writing system that they invented up until this point 
Everything that occurred was passed down oral tradition. You told the stories. If the king's verdict came through, it was just you told everybody. They didn't have any, like, there was no writing system anywhere in the world. The oldest piece of writing that they have from ancient Sumer, I think, is a receipt. Like, uh, some guy wrote on a clay tablet, here's uh, the receipt that proves you paid this much for this sheep. It's now yours. Here's when the transaction happened. It's signed, sealed, delivered, done. And as they began to write, um, it, it made business immeasurably more effective. Like, it literally changed history by starting history. Because history is the recorded events of man. And before writing, there was nothing recorded, right? So, okay, changed history by starting history. And... They start to write everything down, receipts, the decrees of the king, court rulings. They wrote down about debates that they had about which student was smarter, whether or not gold was as valuable as silver. The debates went on and on, and there's all these like littered writings throughout ancient Sumer of they would just write everything down, including their best business practices. This was where we had the first farmer's almanac. They had already developed their own strategies and, and um, ways of farming, when to plant, how to plant, the, to, to get the best yield, how to irrigate, how to harvest, the best way to harvest, like all these things, how to do business, how to tell if you know, you're being cheated, like all these different ways that business in the ancient world was able to flourish because of writing. And the hot book on the market for farmers would have been how to for farmers of the God of crops. There's the God of fabrics and cotton, the God of cows and the God of chickens, the God of fences, the God of gold and weights and justice. And everything in life revolved around the gods. Not that they took it very seriously, but that it was part of their culture. And this is what you do. You ascribe the the fashions and the high society with just do it. You have brand names and you have marketing and it's part of the advertising business. But that was an integral part of their community. And that's how they operated. And Terah, Abram's father, was not exempt from this. Joshua 24.2 actually tells us he was an idol worshiper. His life was actively involved in idolatry. The Midrash tells us that while they still lived in Ur, Terah actually was a business owner who built, carved, and sculpted idols and then sold him in his, his shop front. He had a storefront in the middle of Ur. And he sold idols. The Midrash goes on to tell us that Abram grew to really disdain his father's job. Because people would come in all the time just eager to get something from these gods. But Abram knew. He, he saw the wood where they came from. He saw the metal that they were banged out of. And he thought... What are you doing? You're spending your hard-earned money on this piece of wood that ain't going to do shit for you. What, what's wrong with you people? And he would even try to warn people, hey, you're just wasting your money and your time and your life. There's These aren't gods. They're worthless. So the Midrash tells us finally he got fed up one day and he takes an axe and just 
goes to town on the store, cutting down, chopping up, destroying all of the idols except for the largest one in the storefront. Then what he did is he put the axe in the hands of the idol, you know, really to try and make it look like it was his fault. But Terra comes home, sees the disaster, immediately starts ripping into Abram. How could you do this? This is my livelihood. This was going to be your inheritance. And Abram, Abram says, it wasn't me. It must have been the idol with the axe. And Terra says, come on, what do you think? I'm some dumbass. I'm not stupid. I know you did it. There's no way the idols could do it because they're not real. And as the words come out of Tara's mouth, he realized what he was saying, that his whole reality was based on a lie. A number of events happen, some things go on, and ultimately it brings Tara to the point where he says, I have to break out of this cycle. This system where everything is based on business and aspiring to be the biggest that we can. I mean, there's no other place in the world that you would go to. Sumer is it. It is the highest of high class in the whole world. And if you're there, that's the only place you're going to get it made. Nothing Nothing better is going to happen anywhere else. The greatest you can achieve in your life is found here in Sumer. And this was the cycle. This was over and over and over. We know exactly what to do every year. The rains come. The sun comes. The the fall comes. We harvest. And it's this cycle, this routine. We know how to do it. We've mastered this system. And it's a cycle in which you live the greatest life possible. No one breaks the cycle. But Tara broke the cycle. And whether or not God called Terah out of Ur, there was something that shifted in Terah's heart away from his worship of idols, his dependency on idols to provide a living for his family, these graven images that he made himself. And he leaves, he takes his family, he takes his son Abram, Abram's wife Sarai, and he takes his grandson Lot, who is Abram's nephew. And he takes all their livelihood. He takes everything that they have. And they head towards Canaan. So they're leaving Sumer. And so they're heading west. But they're also going kind of north. And they got to go around this mountainous terrain. They find themselves up north, well above Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. And they they wind up in a town called Haran. And this is where Tara decides, I am going to set up shop here. I, you know, I, I, I can't recreate the cycle, the life that I had made for myself, that I had made for us back in Ur. But this is as good a place in any to, as any to just settle down. And the numbers here that we see in scripture give us the implication that Abram left 60 years before Terah died. And so Terah lived out the last 60 years of his life alone in Haran. Because when they get to Haran, it says they settled there, implying they should have continued to go on further. And so while they are there, whether the original message message was given to Terah or not, God speaks to Abram and says, hey, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to pack up you and your nephew, your wife, 
everything that is yours. And I want you guys to go to Cana. Finish what we started here. I want you to go to Cana. I want to show you something when we get there. And as far as we know, this could very well have been Abraham's first encounter with Yahweh God. And up until this point, Abram has been so fed up, sick and tired with the system of lies that propagate these idols, these gods that ain't shit. And, and yet they must be worshipped. They, they, we have to give them sacrifices. We have to give them offerings. We have to. And it just goes on and on and on. Abram's just so sick of it. And I don't I, I really like wish that this gave us the story gave us a little bit more about what it was like for Abram to hear the voice of Yahweh God, this this God who speaks to people. And not just, you know, the the claim that, oh, these gods only speak to the, the priests and the priestesses. But this Yahweh God, he speaks to everybody, even a regular old idol shop worker like Abram. Nothing special about this guy. But this God wants to have a conversation with me. He wants to take me somewhere. He wants to go do something, show me something. Okay. This is unreal. We never would have experienced if we had stayed in the cycle of life and the rigmarole and business and death over in Sumer. No, 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 no. The only way that we would ever have come to experience this Yahweh God is to break that cycle and 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 leave behind the voices that tell us you'll never find anything better outside of this place and hear the voice that says, oh, come follow me. I want to show you something really cool. Abraham, well, excuse me, Abram takes his wife, his nephew, and they start to head into Cana. And as they make their way in, he he sets up an altar. He worships God. And God's like, I want to show you some more of the land. Let's go for another. And so they go a couple days journey to another city. He sets up another altar. And then this God who speaks to people meets Abram in person. This is the first time that Abram meets Yahweh God, let alone any God. And this God doesn't just speak. He's not just a voice. He's a real person and he's present and he stands in the presence of Abram. And together they have a conversation where God says, I'm going to use you to be a blessing and provide a gift to the whole world. You thought things were the highest pinnacle of society in Sumer. You and I, we're going to create something that surpasses it immeasurably. I'm going to give, um, through you, through your bloodline, through your lineage, I'm going to bring about someone who's actually going to save the whole world. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. I'm also going to bless you. I'm going to give you kids and 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 a heritage, and I'm going to make you a legend in these parts. And this is the beginning of God's relationship 
with Abram, wh whose name is later changed to Abraham. But this relationship, there's something so potent, so powerful that even in the New Testament, authors talk about how we can also have a relationship with God, Jesus, like and like Abram did. And his relationship with God is used as an example for something for believers in God, the children of God, to aspire to. And he started working in a shop that sells idols, whose father made a cool mint doing the same thing. This is the guy whose relationship with God sets the standard. And I think it'd be just as difficult for an idol shop worker to have an intimate relationship with God as anybody. But that is the end of Genesis chapter 11, the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, where we first introduce ourselves to Abram, one of God's very best friends. But he is about to go on some journeys and some adventures that'll get him into a little bit of trouble. And he's not always the greatest dude, but we'll have to jump into that later. I love you guys. Next time. All right, guys, we've just met Abram and we're about to go on another journey that's going to take us through some ups and downs and some pretty crazy stuff as God is laying the groundwork to bring about a nation of Israel through Abraham. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Be sure to share this with your friends, your family. Uh, don't go on this journey alone. Be sure to subscribe, hit like, ring that bell. Here comes the butler. Why, yes, I think I can help you with some coffee. I love you guys. I'll catch you later. Oh, oh, oh.